it allowed me to say to myself that even though what I'm going through hurts really, really bad, and it's really horrible that I don't have my parents, I'm not going through that. You know, I am not being mistreated. I am not strung out on drugs. I am hurting. My heart hurts a lot, but I am not that. And so let me be thankful that I don't have that problem on top of this. And so, I, and this is something that I also often tell people, you know, we have to have a perspective shift that, you know, somewhere in the world, somebody does have it worse than you. And I know it's hard to think that and feel that when you're in your pain. Um, but it's true. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives, in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we have Kanisha Nichelle with us, who will be sharing her grief story, her grief journey. Kanisha is a certified grief and life coach, and she's lived grief firsthand as well, and will be sharing that journey with us. Right now, she's speaking with us all the way, all the way from Miami, Florida. We've got Kanisha on the line. <laughs> I can come on up. Why is it? The, is the price is right. <laughs> come on down. Right. <laughs> By the way, if we, this is Thank something you, that if, you may you may not know this because we've only chatted once before, but I I do end up adding humor quite a bit, and especially in conversations regarding grief. Yeah, I don't know. I know I dealt of with course. grief a lot with humor. I don't know if you if you if you've used humor in your healing as well, but we'll find out. We'll find out. So, Kanisha, take us down to memory down to Mary Lane. You were born and raised in uh, Kentucky and we were talking just right before because we had done a demo trying to record regarding age um factor. So, you are uh, you did want to reveal your age because you said it added a <laughs> point of reference. <laughs> so It does. Okay. It does. You know, I, I talk about all the death that I experienced and one would, would believe, oh, she must be 60 something for all of that to, that she's endured, you know, on top of, mm-hmm. on top of the grief. But oddly enough, no, I am uh, 34 and um, my grief journey, man, start back at the age of 12. So as Kendra, as you said, yeah, I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm um, at 12. My father basically died instantly. Um, he suffered a brain aneurysm um, on a Wednesday. And by Saturday, um, he was pronounced brain dead. And so um, that was my best friend. You know, I was a daddy's girl. And so that was my first uh, take with grief. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I really didn't. I hadn't lost anybody before then, um, you know, significant to that degree to where it really, truly impacted my life Um, so much so that I just I couldn't function. And, you know, to the humor that you say, you know, now when I share this part of the story, um, I thought that, you know, I I just didn't want to live and decided to use a butter knife to end it all. And uh, not knowing that that just wasn't realistic. But in my heart of hearts at 12, you know, the pain was that bad that I felt like, you know, I'm trying something. And so, you know, grief has that hold on you, especially depending on, you know, who that person is. Um, And, you know, my parents were divorced and I live with my father. So, you know, my world was wrapped up with him. And so when it was taken from me, it was was pretty tough to deal with. But after that, um, you know, I moved with my mom and you know, live life with her until she got sick and she got sick with breast cancer. And, um, and at, um, 21 is when she passed away from me. So at 21, I became an orphan. Which is a lot. Yeah. So 
12, your dad, 21, your mom, and now you mentioned your parents had been divorced. How old were you when they were divorced, when they got divorced? Um, I would say I was thinking about eight or nine. So I was still fairly young. Do you remember um, that being a, but I was Do you remember mm-hmm. that being a grief experience for you as well? Do you remember that that um, time in your life? I do. Just I, I a little bit it, that now I, I try to recall that part of my life, but you know, it was it was a while ago, so it's a little foggy, but I do know, you know, like I said, that they did split up and I knew though that I was given the choice of who I wanted to live with. And I chose to live with my father. And so, you know, it meant a lot of different things. My father was a police officer. So I enjoyed being the daughter of a police officer and, and the the fanfare that came with that, if you will. But it also meant a lot of days by myself. Um, like I said, he was an officer, so his shifts were 12 hours. But you couldn't tell me anything. My daddy could do no wrong. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a relationship with my mother. But it was definitely stronger with my father. With your dad. So then at 12, then here you are, you Mm -hmm. experience then your dad dying. And then again, your life changes also in a different way in which you have to go and live now with your mom. And now was, did they live nearby? Did you have to change schools? Like how much was your life impacted? Like those secondary losses that happened sometimes around death. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so my father did remarry. Um, he remarried so that, you know, I have a living stepmother, but he did remarry and they were only married for four months before he passed. And so um, the house that I grew up in and everything, you know, they just, my, my family all thought it was just best that I live with my mother. Um, in the beginning, I didn't make that choice because that was my house the house that I grew up in. And so now you're telling me that I have to leave this house to live with my mom. So it was kind of a catch 22. It's like, you're ripping me from my childhood home to go with my mom. And it's like, I should go with my mom, but then you're taking me from my childhood home. And so that was a level of grief, if you will, um, that was added to it. Um, But after like, you know, after all of the courts and all of that, you know, fanfare and stuff, you know, I eventually was okay with, going with my mother and then our house was eventually sold. Um, you know, my stepmother sold it. And so all of that was just kind of ripped away from me. And it's not until now actually that you, you know, bring it up to that degree. Cause I hadn't really thought about it, you know, that to that level, but yeah, you know, being lost him and then turn around and losing my home in that manner um, was different. No, I didn't have to change schools. Um, so thankfully, you know, just, you know, change buses, but didn't have to change schools or anything. My mom didn't live far. Um, she was, you know, 10 minutes, you know, if, if that, so she wasn't far. So it wasn't like it was anything completely drastic. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely adds another layer when you don't get to stay in that place. You know, things are still changing even after that loved one passes away. Yes, it, it is. It is, it is very interesting because sometimes in people, like when I've had conversations, those secondary losses end up being the ones that are even more either traumatic or life-changing than the actual death itself um, in their in their whole mm-hmm. grief kind of journey, you know, because there's just so many layers, like what you said, like having to live or or like if parents are divorced and then you, uh, I, I, had, uh, I had met somebody that lived with her siblings, the parent that she lived with and her half siblings dies. And then she has to then go and live with, Mm -hmm. uh, with the other parent. So that means that not only did she lose the parent, but then she lost and being even with her half siblings, Mm -hmm. you know, like those, all those like layers that can happen in, in, in different situations. So, um, so yeah, so thank you for sharing that. So now here from 12 to to 21 take share a little bit then you attempted then with the butter knife when you were 12 um how else did you deal with your grief and also how did your mom help you with your grief being that she was no longer married to your dad her grief experience was very different than yours so how was that dynamic um it was different but it was still pretty significant they were high school sweethearts So, you know, she experienced her own level of grief of her 
basically her only love passing away, you know, her only love, her, the father of her child passing away. So, you know, she had to deal with it in her own way. Um, honestly, I can't say how she did. Um, I don't quite remember, um, you know, if she went to therapy or anything like that. I don't recall her disclosing that to me. So I can't say, you know, what she did on her end. Um, but I know that I was put into therapy for me. You know, once the the butter knife incident happened, you know, it was evident that this loss was really impacting me more than people thought. So some people think, you know, it, that when children experience loss that, you know, because they're bubbly and happy and um, resilient, that it doesn't impact them the same way it would an adult. And I'm here to tell you that that's completely false. Um, and it was evident because, you know, before, you know, I, I went through the loss and, you know, I went back to school and things and was able to be around my friends. But the butter knife incident happened. And then that was kind of the light bulb switch for my family. Like, OK, maybe Kenesha's not OK. Maybe we need to get Kenesha some help. Yeah. And so that was the first time. Yep. So they put me in um, group therapy with other children. So that was good. It wasn't like it was a one on one situation. And I'm talking to some stranger. Um, you know, I went to group therapy and so I was in there with other kids and the, the main thing that I do remember plain as day was doing art therapy and they allowed us to be able to draw pictures of how we were feeling. And I just absolutely love that. I remember that. That's kind of why I incorporate that into what I'm doing today. Um, but draw, being able to draw out what you're thinking and feeling it doesn't in the moment doesn't feel like therapy, but it is a, another way of releasing those thoughts and feelings that you're having inside. And so, you know, people would draw angry faces, draw um, sad faces and crying faces um, and all of that combined. is just another way to release. And so I know that for me and as a child back then, um, it was important to be able to have a comfortable way to release. So if there is a child that's in your life, that is going through the grief of a loved one, you know, listen to them, talk to them, give them support because trust me, you know, they're feeling it too. I know adults, you know, you can see it and it's more evident in an adult, but for sure for a child, um, they need the help that they can get as well. Yeah. And the, the way that they uh, maybe react, as you just said, like, because they're so different, it may not look the same way as you as an adult, dealing with grief. So it's important to be very attentive to maybe differences in their behavior, in their motivation, in mm -hmm. maybe at school, like whether they withdraw. Um, I remember when my mom mm -hmm. passed away, like we made sure we told the counselors at the counselor at school and the kids teachers mm -hmm. just to kind of just pay attention if anything changed, yep. um, in, you know, at school that maybe we weren't noticing at home, but maybe they could see anything at, at school. So yeah, making sure. sure to to just keep an eye and asking people around you that are close to that child to keep an eye. So now take us then, so that, that you had therapy, do you remember about how long you had it for? Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't recall yeah, how it's long. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, um, it becomes like yeah. a blur. A lot of was, things. Yeah. Ooh, okay, because you're dead. You're taking me, taking me way back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then take us into then how your grief started changing and your teens, and then going to college, and then we go into your mom's uh, passing when you were 21. Um, I would say my high school years and everything were pretty much okay. Um, I my father was a very strong figure in my life, so. I wouldn't say that um, I had, you know, daddy issues because he was absent. Um, I mean, to this day, there's a lot of things that I remember about my father and, and how I even move and do things based off of just those 12 years with him. So I don't think I, I, I suffered the, the loss of his presence, his physical presence for sure. But I don't think that my life, you know, kind of went in shambles, if you will, from not having him. So I would say my high school years were, you know, pretty much okay. Um, you know, of course, high school graduation was sad because he wasn't there um, to see me graduate and prom and all those kind of things. Um, took off to college. I went to the University of Kentucky. I wanted to leave home, but not be too far. And so mm. um, University of Kentucky is about an hour away from Louisville. So 
it was far enough to where I could be independent and do my thing, but it was close enough to where should anything happen, um, I'd be able to get back home fairly quickly, you know, within a, within the same day. Can I, and I, so, I'm going to interrupt um, you. Uh-huh. I want to interrupt you there. That is such an interesting um, thought because I you do not know, had you, had you not had your father pass away, wonder if hmm. you would have had that same feeling of the not wanting to be far away. You know, that fear of mm-hmm. like something's going to happen if I'm not there or if something happens, you know, mm-hmm. like if that kind of carried on then of you choosing then to be home, right? Like, I, but I, it's just a very interesting um, ripple effect to some extent of what mm-hmm. happened then with the choices you made even for college. And that's, you know, I remember you saying that and that's kind of profound. I never actually thought about that. I, I said those words and I meant that, but I didn't know the why. And so the, it was interesting when you brought that up to me the first time. I do know I have an older cousin who I'm very, very close to almost, you know, we call each other sisters um, because we're so close. And, you know, she and her family, you know, they lived in Georgia, but she chose to go to um, NYU, New York University. And I remember her, you know, having the struggles to getting back and forth from New York to Georgia. And I was Mm. like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that far to where it's a struggle. You know, it takes a day or two for her to get back home because something happened. And so I think all of that together was like, "Eh, I'm going to stay, you know, (laughs) go to the in-state school. Plus I love Kentucky anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, you know, opposed to it, but I did want to have my freedom. You know, I didn't want to be the other type of person that, goes to college and they still live at home. And it's like, you know, you can't really have freedom because, you know, mom is, is still on your back. So I kind of was trying to find a healthy balance between the two. But when you brought that up the first time, I was like, you know, I never even thought about that, but it's true. You know, I guess it, I had that intuition. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You had that. And, you know, and this is, and I'm going to point this out as listeners are hearing this, you know, um, Kanisha is a grief and life coach, yet sometimes somebody else's perspective and something you've lived, like having these conversations with someone may bring up something that sometimes we don't even know. So that's why even having a grief coach like you or you know, like me is something that's important sometimes <laughs> because, or just even conversations with people. It doesn't even have to be a, just talking about this with friends and th- because sometimes hearing somebody's perspective when you're there, an outsider mm-hmm. of the situation makes you see things differently and you're like whoa I had never thought of that um so yeah I just I love having these kind of conversations I know I've had a lot of aha moments just of people bringing things up to me that I'm like oh I would have never thought that that's why I do Mm -hmm. the things I do and how why I do them so Mm -hmm. yeah so um so anyway, that is just that. <laughs> and I'm sure you've you've been an aha moment for a lot of yeah, your clients no, that's, too, like when you're kind of bringing Yeah, up that, that was that. a good one though. <laughs> Out of all these years, I hadn't really <laughs> put the two together. And I would think that, you know, almost as a premonition before it actually happened. So yeah, no, that was, that yeah, was yeah. Yeah. look at you. <laughs> and maybe it's not, and maybe it had nothing, no, and maybe it had nothing to do with that. I was just like, oh, I wonder if, you know, maybe, that's the reason, but. but yeah, I mean, yeah, you never know. All right, so then you're in college. You're just an hour away. You're a drive away from home. Um, now, what happened then when you were 21? So um, her diagnosis came before 21. And so <laughs> I have to share, man, okay. it was pretty horrible the way that I found out. Um So I was, you know, at school doing my thing and I get a phone call for someone and it's, um, you know, I think she's a, she was one of the members of our church and it was one of my mom's choir members. That's who it was. And so she called me and she was like, Hey, Kenesha, um, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you and your mom and everything is going to be okay. And if you need anything, you know, you can always reach out to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, like, what are you praying for? Uh-huh. What do you mean she, praying for me and my broke. mom? Yeah. Right. Well, I was like, I was like, nothing's going on. I was like, well, what, what do I not know? And she said, oh my God, you don't know. And I was like, I don't know what. <laughs> and so she was like, okay, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, call you and scare you like that. She was like, I'm, you know, I'm not the one to tell you, I think you should call your mom. 
And I'm like, okay. So, of course, I hang up on the phone and I call her. And I'm like, Ma, um, I just got this phone call telling me that people are praying for you and that they're going to help us. And I'm like, what is going on? And she's like, well, you know, and the thing, I believe this was like a Tuesday. They used to have car rehearsal on Tuesdays. And she was like, well, I knew you were coming home this weekend. So I wanted to wait till you came home this weekend to tell you. And I was like, tell me what? And she was like, I, I would just rather wait. And I'm like, mom, like, and this is a, this is like eight, nine o'clock at night. I said, mom, I will get in the car and I will drive home now if you don't tell me. Like, if, if you get off of this phone and don't tell me, I'm leaving and you'll see me in about an hour, 15 minutes, and then you can tell me to my face. And I'm like, I'm not waiting till the weekend. Like, are you crazy? So um, she went ahead and she told me. And I was like, okay, all right, you have breast cancer. And it was stage three breast cancer. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I'll be home this weekend um, to deal with it. And I think she was actually scheduled to have her surgery not too long after. And I'm like, okay, no, no big deal. I'll be there. Like say less. So, um, I know I went home that weekend and for all intents and purposes, the, the surgery was on Monday or Tuesday. Of course I stayed, you know, she's my only parent. I'm an only child. So I was there and I didn't care about school. I didn't care about missing classes. Um, I was a student athletic trainer. I didn't care about missing practice. I was going to be there with my mom. And so I, that's what I did. And so her her cancer first showed up. This was um, in the fall of 2004. And this was the very first time that showed up. So you and, were how old? You know, I. So mm-hmm. breast, sorry. So breast I, cancer then, you were how old then when did that moment and that diagnosis then? 19. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I, um came home and was with her and, you know, you know, tried to do as much as I could by being there. And of course, you know, she had her sisters and my grandmother and she had a support system. So at the times, you know, when she came back home and everything was fine, of course, I went back to school and, you know, was going back to regular life, if you will, um, still being a distant caregiver back and up, up and down the highways, making sure I met appointments. You know, I saw her do chemo. I saw her do radiation. I saw her lose her hair and have no appetite. Like I went through all of that with her. Um, And so, yeah, she, you know, she finally went into remission and things were well. And again, the next fall, it comes back again. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we can do the same treatment again. It It really wasn't much surgery to do. Um, because they'd already removed the lymph nodes. And so it's like, okay, we'll just do, you know, chemo and radiation again. And so she goes through all of this sequence again. And, you know, I don't know how long it lasts, maybe a couple of months or so. And she went back into remission and everything was well, and we were all happy. And so it was Thanksgiving of 2006 that, um, we decided to go to New York City for Thanksgiving. Again, that's where my my cousin lives. And so, you know, we went to visit her and my aunt, my mom's sister, you know, we all kind of made it a, a girl's Thanksgiving. And on this flight there, my mom was complaining of a headache. Like, like she was like, I can't, like my head is just knocking. She was like, pills are not helping. Like my head is pounding. And so um, we're on this trip and you know, we have a good time, you know, have a blast. And then we're coming back home and her head is still hurting from being in flight. So she goes to the doctor and, you know, they scan her and everything. And they say that the tumor has metastasized to her brain. So now at this point, it's no longer just breast cancer. It is a brain tumor. So, um, they, you know, they decided that she should have some, I can't remember the technical name for it, but it was like a, a laser surgery for the brain. And so um, the facility where they were going to do this was actually in the same city where I was at school. And so this was a blessing because she was literally staying on campus. Um, if you're familiar with the Ronald McDonald house, you know, they allow folks to stay there free of charge. And so they have a Ronald McDonald house on my school's campus. And so literally in between classes or before I went to practice, you know, I was able to see her for several weeks um, because she stayed there to have this laser surgery. And so 
They did all of that. Um, they, they said they got it. <laughs> um, but I do believe that they didn't catch it in time or they caught it too late because um, they had, the cancer had then metastasized to her lungs. And this showed up, um, I can't remember exactly the month, but I would say this would definitely show up, um, I would say around April, April, May is when it showed up in her lungs. And so um, when this happened, it's like, okay, you know, we were given a couple of options, you know, surgery, not do surgery. Um, she could do a chemo in a pill form because, you know, she didn't necessarily want it like in her chest. Um, but we decided to opt for the surgery. And so, you know, we scheduled the surgery later on down the road um, in May, which is Mother's Day. I decided to do a party for her. I did a, it was a pink party, but just a Mother's Day celebration, just all for her, just to honor her and celebrate her life and allow her to get with her friends because I could, I could see my mother deteriorating and I didn't know how long, you know, I was going to have with her. And so it was that, that phrase, you know, give them their flowers while they can still smell them. That's what I, you know, was, was zeroed in on. I wanted to honor my mom while she was still here because I didn't know how much longer I had left. And that's the reason why I wanted to go ahead and do this party for her. And it was all about her, you know, everybody wore pink and, it was all of her closest friends and choir members and just to love on her and just to show her that we are here and we're supporting you and we're fighting with you. Um, you're not in this by yourself. I just wanted to shower her with the love because I didn't know how much time I had left. And so we went ahead and ended up having the, the surgery scheduled um, for the beginning of July. And she had the surgery and um, it was not successful. Um, she, you know, she came through the surgery and she was okay. Um, as far as, you know, coming off of the table, but she was not the same person when she came off the table. Um, she began to retain water and eventually went into a coma and on July 13th, she passed away. So yeah, from May to July, I had no idea. And this is at this point, 2007. 2007. This is 2007. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. Had no idea that literally just about um, two months to the day, because Mother's Day is probably like May 15th or something like that, that she wouldn't be here. So that is that is you one didn't know, but your intuition did. You didn't know, but your well, yeah, intuition did. I, because you yeah, did. That's I, why I you did that her. big party. Yeah. You, that's why you mm-hmm. did that big party I could for watch me. And see her in deteriorating. Mm. Yeah. The, I didn't know the, when. Um, so. Yeah, no, we. That's a that's the thing, right? We never know. No, none of us know the the when. It's the, the mystery the of yeah, the mystery of death. The um, I mean, it's similar with birth, right? Too with birth, we True. can have <laughs> yeah. an estimated date, and even still, like it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? It's not even that's not even guaranteed unless it's a C-section, right? right. So, right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, so I guess the way we enter the world and the way we leave is that kind of a little bit of unpredictability mm-hmm. in both. In both, the um, so then at that, were you at the hospital with her? How how was that? moment were you there when she took her last breath I was again intuition um so 2007 was pretty rough um the week before she passed um one of my uncles on the the opposite side of the family was killed in a motor vehicle accident and this was fourth of July weekend and so the night of his his wake before the funeral the night of his wake which was had to be July the 12th. Um, I just had a feeling, you know, I I was with my mom the whole day and, you know, I left to go to the, to the wake to, you know, be with my other family and pay my respects. But I just had a feeling. I was just like, you know, when I left the hospital, just things just weren't right. She was just too still. And it just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And I was like, I think tonight's going to be the night that she transitions. And so when I, you know, came to that conclusion, I told my grandmother and I said, listen, I'm going to say the night tonight. Um, I just think this, this might be the night. And she's like, well, if you say that, then I'm going to stay too. And so my grandmother and my grandfather both stayed. Um, and my boyfriend at the time 
say it as well. And so I, you know, went to the wake and then came back and um, was there. And, you know, she just, you know, wasn't moving her things. And I just, again, I, I had the thought in my mind that I, I needed to tell her that um, she had my permission. And that was probably one of the hardest things that I've done. Um, I did that a second time with my grandmother. That was horrible. Um, but that was the first time that I, I I did it. I said those words and I was like, I'm going to be okay. Um, you have my permission to go be with daddy. And man, it was probably maybe an hour after that. Um, we, you know, was playing gospel music and things and, you know, stuff just started buzzing <laughs> and the computers just kind of, you know, started chiming and you could, you know, see blood pressure things dropping and it was, you know, just an eerie feeling, but I literally watch, you know, watch death come over her. Um, and of course I lost it and, you know, I was prepared for it, but I wasn't prepared for it. And so, you know, it was a very, very, very tough moment um, for it to be in it. It's like, you know, you've been thinking about it, you know, it's coming, you don't know what to expect. And then when it's finally here, it's like, wow. Um, but yeah, you know, I was with her. So for a long time, I couldn't sleep, especially, um, well, really till this day, I still stay up um, on her angel anniversary because it was 2.24 in the morning. And so it was Friday the 13th. That's a whole nother thing mm, right there. Mm. It's Friday the 13th. Are you superstitious? Um, I was. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was. <laughs> you know, it was Friday the 13th and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Um but I, I, I do to this day, I'll stay up and just kind of a celebration at this point now. But before I couldn't sleep, you know, it was just, I just had to be up and just in that moment, you know, because I was there. So with with that then, what um, what did you do then at that point? But by the way, you describing the gospel music playing and all of you being there, just so uh, beautiful. Um but a beautiful way for her to transition in that kind of environment with her family and with the music playing and so forth. So that I just wanted to say, it's just beautiful that you guys, you know, were all, you know, there. The, um, then what happened then in terms of for you, what tools at that point now, here you are without your dad, without your mom, you had your grandparents and it seems you mentioned then that your grandmother has passed also since. Um, What, what tools did you use for your grieving process then at 21? And how was that journey then? Cause that's, that's a whole other layer, right? Right there of a shift. So go into that with us, please for us. Sure. Um, so immediately after I did nothing, um, simply because I had one month to take care of the business side of the death before I had to return back to school. Um, so that meant a lot of things. Um, so it was not only, you know, just the funeral, but, um, I later found out cause she kept a lot of things from me, just protecting me. But I later found out that our house had gone into foreclosure because she wasn't able to keep up with the mortgage. Why? Well, she was sick and so she couldn't work and, you know, disability wasn't, um, paying for enough. And so, our house had went into foreclosure and even I knew she wasn't working. So I had actually picked up a part-time job um, at the school's bookstore to try to take care of my, you know, small expenses, um, gas money and groceries and stuff like that. So I hopped in myself, didn't have the time, didn't really have the time to do it (laughs) um, with everything else I had going on, but you know, I wanted to do my part and help out with the family. So um, I, you know, Right after the funeral and things, we had to do an estate sale. So we had to sell all the possessions in my house. Um, that was a horrific moment of literally just seeing price tags go on everything in my house and watching people come up and buy my possessions. Mm. Um, so I had to endure that. Um, I found out her car was was being repoed. And so we just gave the car back. Um, thankfully, my car was paid for um, in cash because I, you know, got it from um, from my father, uh, my father's um, will. And so, you know, they didn't take mine, but you know, they took hers. And so, you know, moving out of the house and um, essentially was homeless. Now, I had an apartment at 
at school. So I had a place. But when I would come home on the weekends, you know, I wasn't going back to the house that I was known for going to. Um, thankfully, I had an aunt who said, hey, you know, whenever you come home, you're more than welcome to crash here, stay here. Um, my paternal grandmother, um, you know, obviously I would go and stay with her if I needed to as well. And of course, I'm only home for the weekends. So it wasn't a big deal at the time. But, you know, after the fact, and you think about it, it's like, dang, I don't really don't have like a, a solid place to stay mm-hmm. when I come here. Um, so all of that combined was what I endured before going back to school. And so because I guess you could say your adrenaline is running and you're doing all of these things and you're running around and whatnot, I felt like I was okay. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all right. So because it happened during school. summer school during summer. So it was like you, yeah, you, it was July. July. Yep. And then school, like at the end of August or September, when did you go back into, so it was like maybe um, it's a mid, month in, or In so? Kentucky, it's like mid, mid-August. So yeah, that's why I say it was, so. it was right at about a month. A month um, or so, you're just kind of doing the, you know, seeing everything. And again, here's another one of those secondary losses again, like, so in both, because yep. then again, you lost your house. So you lost your yep. house the first again. time, the <laughs> home you grew up in, then you lose your home again. And everything you that was in it when your mom passed away, so that's just a that's so much, Kanisha. That is yeah. a lot. You, you're it right. Is. People would say you're sixty something with everything you've done. <laughs> <laughs> not thirty four. Not See? ten years younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a whole other slew of stuff that I'd have been through. I didn't watch my car burn on fire. I didn't. Oh, oh, oh I didn't been through a lot. Oh. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but so when I go back to school, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go back and to do everything that I, I was used to doing. Um, I know I just buried my mom, but it's fine. So I'm taking full classes, um, which is 15 credit hours. So that's four or five classes. I can't remember. Um, but I'm taking a full class load. Um, I still held on to my part-time job at the bookstore because, you know, it's easy, easy money to get some gas money and whatnot. Um, I was a student athletic trainer because at the time I wanted to be an athletic trainer. So I was a trainer for the track and field team. So I'm going to practices and traveling and all this kind of stuff. Um, I was a new sorority member, so I had responsibilities there. So I'm just doing all these things like, yep, everything's cool. And I ran into a brick wall. And that happened because I got the call to my, well, I was home, but my grandfather um, passed away. And man, my grand, me and my grandfather were super tight. And so it's like, okay, I lost my uncle, I lost my mother, and now I've lost my grandfather. All right, I'm overwhelmed. Um, this is a lot. I don't know if my heart can take anymore. And I'm still, you know, I, I processed the death, but then I'm still like trying to go back into the same life. And so it was Labor Day weekend, I'll never forget. And um, I asked my coach, I said, you know, I think I want to go home this weekend. You know, it's like, it's a long weekend. I haven't seen my family. I would just, you know, I would love to go home and just get loved on and just, you know, be with them. And my coach said, no, Um, I'm sorry. You need to be here with us this weekend. We're practicing all weekend and you can't go home. And I lost it. That, That right there was the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, okay, well, here's your keys. Um, I quit and I took the keys off of my key ring and I gave them to her. And I went and got my car. I think I went home, probably packed up my stuff and drove to Louisville. But when I got to Louisville, um, I stopped and picked up some pills because I said, you know what? If nobody's going to care about how I feel and everything that I've been through, hell, why am I even still living? Um, I don't have my parents. They're not going to be here to see nothing that's going to happen for me. I haven't gotten married. I don't have any children. I haven't graduated college. I don't have a real job. Like, what am I living for? And I decided to take those pills with some alcohol and I just hoped and prayed that I would not wake up. And that's what I did. I texted my boyfriend and I said, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And I turned off my phone and I did. And I went to sleep. And several hours later, I think I got to pause and say, thank God that I'm here. <laughs> but were you um, in the car? Several hours later, the car? there was... Like where where were you when you No, I was at my when, aunt's house. Oh I was at my aunt's house. And the was aunt she that not told me home? that I could stay with her when I come home. Yeah. I was at her was house. Was she not home? No, she was not home. Mm-mm. See, okay. she um she traveled no, she traveled for work. 
And so like she would, she leaves, she, well, she left on Sundays and would come back on Thursdays. And so basically, you know, if I ever came home, I would have the house to myself. And so, yeah, she wasn't, nobody was there. Nobody was home. Cause I came home. Like, I don't, I was really random, like in the middle of the day. Cause I just left for practice. And so she wasn't home yet. And, um, I just, you know, I remember being in the bed and I went to sleep. Um, but several hours later, I don't think they called the police. They eventually was able to like break in and then they broke in the house. They broke in the room and they found me and um, I woke up. And so they ended up calling the hospital, calling the police and calling the EMS. And I went to the hospital, um, got my stomach pumped. And then they transferred me to a mental, mental institution. Um, well, actually, you know what? They asked me if I wanted to go. They asked me if I needed some help. And I said, this is tough and this is really hard and I can't really do this by myself. And so they gave me the choice and I said, yes. And so I was committed to a mental institution for four days um, because of this suicide attempt. And honestly, you know, in the moment it was, it was horrific. All oh, those places are really, really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, you know, I had a roommate and, you know, listening to her story, you know, it was bad. And, you know, they, they lock the doors. You can't leave. Um, oh gosh. They like, they lock the bathrooms at night when you take medication, they got to check under your tongue. It was just, it was just bad. And you could only have visitors for like one hour and it was a pay phone to talk to people. Although my aunt snuck my cell phone in for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I had it, so I you know would sneak and talk on the phone. <laughs> um, but in hindsight, like you're not supposed to have it. Like they, it's a pay phone they're supposed to use. Like it was, it felt like really, it like felt like real jail. Like prison. And like a prison. It was just, it was just yeah. horrible. But my takeaway from that, yeah, it's really what it felt like. It was just dark and like I can, I can visualize it right now as I'm telling you. Like it was just dark and sad and just people just moping around and, oh, it was just, it was, it was a tough, it was really tough. Um, but my takeaway from that and the, the one beautiful thing that I can say that I got from it was I had a perspective shift. And then I think this is, this was my wake up call. Um, and it was talking with other people, especially like my roommate that I had, you know, she was a rape victim and I mean, just, you know, drug addict and all these other things. And it allowed me to say to myself that even though what I'm going through hurts really, really bad, and it's really horrible that I don't have my parents, I'm not going through that. You know, I am not being mistreated. I am not strung out on drugs. I am hurting. My heart hurts a lot, but I am not that. And so let me be thankful that I don't have that problem on top of this. And so I, I, and this is something that I also often tell people, you know, we have to have a perspective shift that, you know, somewhere in the world, somebody does have it worse than you. And I know it's hard to think that and feel that when you're in your pain. Um, but it's true. You know, you're not sleeping under a bridge. You're not, you know, missing a meal. You know, you you do have somebody in your life who loves you and, and is willing to check on you and be there for you. And so we've got to have the mindset shift that even though it's bad right now, it could be worse. And so we've got to be grateful for what we have in this moment. And so it was that right there that helped me shift and helped to pull me out of that dark place. This is so powerful what you are sharing because it is it is so true to have those perspective shifts or what you said or mindset mindset shifts um and to be grateful for where you are and what mm-hmm. you, what you're going through. Uh, knowing that somebody is, and that's a thing. It's like the knowing that somebody's having a harder experience than you. It, it is not like, oh my gosh, thank God for me. You know what I mean? That that experience. Yeah, no. But again, it's the is the perspective of like, okay, if that person is ha- is going through that and still ends up coming out to the other side. Even this podcast, when I interview people and people listening, it's it that's the whole point too. It's like when you're listening to this, you may be feeling like many of the instances that you felt, uh, Kanisha, you know, the, the listener might be feeling like you have felt in your life and to know that somebody out there felt like you or has Mm -hmm. gone through something and still been able to come out of it is also, uh, 
yeah you know an eye opener as well and gives hope so thank you for sharing yeah. all of those details now what so you come out and Absolutely. then what then your perspective shifted and then what how did your grief then look from there on you were you still 21 at this point was it still within that same year uh of your age of your mom passing yep. this yep all within that same. So what, yes, how did this then was, um, this around? was, yeah, all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out of it. Um, I had great, you know, great professors and things who, you know, work with me with assignments and things like that. Um, so after I left the mental institution, it was important for me to, um, continue the work that I was doing. So I did get a therapist who worked with me doing journaling and art therapy, which we had done all of this, um, in the institution. And so it was helpful to continue to do that work because it helped me with processing my thoughts and feelings, even though I had the mindset shift, I mean, life still happened. And so it, it was important to continue the work and not, you know, revert back if you will. And so, um, that's, that's something else that I wholeheartedly believe in journaling to release all those thoughts and feelings. Um, I used to develop ulcers as a result of just holding in stuff, not talking about it, not sharing And so that's why I believe that you have to have a way to talk about it. So if you're not going to get a counselor, if you're not going to go to therapy, then journaling is another way of releasing all of those thoughts and feelings as well. And so I did that. Um, I I did go back to school, but I it was it was evident to me that Lexington, which is where my school was, was just way too far from home. So if you go back to what I said at the beginning that I didn't want to be far, but I wanted to be far enough to be independent. Well, I came to the realization that it was even this hour in this moment was too far. And so I ended up at the end of the semester transferring schools and I transferred to the local school, if you will, um, the University of Louisville, which was back home. And so I did the thing that I didn't want to do, which was be a... um, you know, going to school and living at home, if you will. Um, and so this is when I live full time with that same aunt that allowed me to stay with her. Then I live, I moved in with her, you know, full time, which like I said, it worked because she traveled for work every week. And so it was kind of like I had my own space and we were only in each other's space on the weekends when she came home. So I, I, that was I, something that I needed. I, I, I just, my support system was just too far. I think that that is just, so brave and so amazing that this young woman at 21 was able to realize that too, because at that moment, then you knew, like you said, you needed your support system close by. Now it was not about, let me be there for like the reason how you went, when you went away for college and just an hour away, it's like, just in case I can be back and be there to help. Right. Like it was you being that support for somebody else. And now Mm -hmm. here it was the realization of like, I Mm -hmm. need support. I need to be around people that are going to be there for Mm -hmm. me if I have a breaking point again, you know? And so that is just amazing that at that age Mm -hmm. you were able to realize that, um, one, wow. So then you go back, you go to school and, uh, take us then into the journey you kept on. So journaling, therapy, you know, think things like that were all part of your, of your tools, of your toolbox in this grief journey. Um, then now take us a little bit yep. into now what happened, what, what, what has transpired in the last, you know, then yeah. 10 years, I guess, after that. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, like I said, originally I went to school, um, I figured out I wanted to be an athletic trainer. And so when I transferred schools, you know, you know, wanted to continue on the same path, but when I, you know, met with my advisor and they saw my transcripts and grades and things, they were like, Kanisha, um, you could do it. She's like, but it's going to take you probably three, three and a half years, um, because you failed so many classes, you know, you're going to have to retake a lot of courses um, if you want to continue with this track. And I told him, I said, well, I mentally don't have three years to stay in school because by this mm-hmm. time that we're on year four, like I should be graduating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, I'm not getting ready to be a seven year, eight year undergrad. Like I'm not going to do that. Um, and I don't have the mental capacity to do that. I will quit and I will probably start doing some illegal stuff to make money. So 
um, what can we do to help me get out sooner? And they said, well, have you considered changing your major to sports administration, which is the business side of sports? Um, so not, you know, being a trainer and the, the doctor, if you will, um, but still working in the sports environment because that is something that I really do enjoy. And I said, okay, well, how long would that take? And they said, um, about a year and a half, you know, you have to do a semester internship, you know, you got to get a job somewhere and intern. And then, you know, we can you know update your credits and we can get you out in a year and a half. I said, perfect. I'll do that. So I switched my major to sports administration. I did my first semester there and then I had to have an internship. So if, if you, you know, if you know anything about the Midwest of the United States, you know, this time of year, literally right now, like October 21st, you know, it is dark and gloomy even you know i just went to kentucky last week oh my goodness Mm -hmm. on sunday flying back i was like i gotta get out of here it was Mm. it was dark it was gray it's starting to get cold it was crazy because you know we went on friday and it was beautiful and it was sunny and i was happy by the end of the week by sunday i was like i told my husband i said i gotta get out of here this this right here is why i left so um being in that mindset and, and knowing that I was like, I, I want to leave for my internship. I don't want to stay here. I, if this is my opportunity to leave and to travel and to, you know, do something different, I want to take it now. And so I'll, long story short, I ended up getting a internship with the Orange Bowl Committee, which is um, one of the bowl games for college football. And it's in Miami, Florida. And so of all places in the continent of the United States, um, you know, God would position me to get to the most beautiful and sunniest and warm (laughs) state and city so that I could um, just take in all of that. And that that right there is what helped me the most with my group journey, you know, coming to Miami, being able to go to the ocean and just be in the sun and the warmth. And of course, working in sports, you know, something that I enjoy all of that together is really what like sent me through um, this grief journey. And so that, and that was actually the start of my career in sports. That is quite a journey. So now you mentioned your husband, so you're married, you have a daughter mm-hmm. as well. So, <laughs> yes. ha- so share a little bit then about the present and now of what it is you do. And again, it's like a whole 180, Kanisha, right? <laughs> It really is. It really is. Um, so I, you know, so I came down here for the internship, fell in love with it. Of course, you know, networking, meeting people. Um, that was the fall of 2009. And so after the game, you know, I moved back home. I was here for five months on my own. I had never left Kentucky like that. I just packed up my truck and I moved down here on nothing but faith. I didn't know anybody. I had no clue what I was doing, but I just left on faith. And so um, when that opportunity was over, you know, went back home, of course, and finished classes and I graduated. Um, and I decided, I was like, I like Miami. I think I won't go back. And so, um, yeah, you know, I spent a couple of months, you know, like I said, reaching out to folks and making contacts where I eventually, um, got a job with the Miami Dolphins. And so that allowed me to, um, uh, pack up for good. And I left. I left Kentucky for the last so what, time. Yeah, what was, year was that? That would have been yeah. that would have been the fall of 2009. So that would have been the fall of 2009. Um, so I had the, I'm sorry, I had the internship in 2008, rolling in 2009, graduated in 09, and then in the fall is when I packed up and moved for good to Miami. And so I um, was working for the Miami Dolphins. Um, I had enrolled to get my master's in um, athletic administration, which I did graduate in 2014. So I have my master's in athletic administration. But in 2010, um, I did eventually, you know, get some friends or whatever. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. my friend had invited me to come hang out because again, love sports. So, you know, invited me to come and hang out and watch some basketball. And there was this guy there. And, um, his name was Dennis <laughs> and he was there and, you know, ironically, he wasn't even speaking to me and talking to me, but fast forward, you know, he eventually you know, asked me out and all that kind of things. And we got married in April of 2012. And oh, then so our daughter cool. was born in September of 2012. Okay. 
So that was and fast. So, yeah, so you I've, just, you know, yeah, I've done a lot two, of sports. Two years I've, like, you dated, basically, before you got married. And now I, I'm totally, two like, years. nosy. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, one of those people that want to know, like, all the little details. And, um, yeah, you like I said, worked mentioning, in sports. Um, I've worked for the boy, Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh nope. I had I had lost you, so I was talking over you. Um what happened with the other with the boyfriend that was there when your mom uh passed away like what happened with that how what year did you guys break up that's just me well um it wasn't long afterwards um oh no you're fine that was so so she died in 2007 i would say march i think it was march of 2008 you know, it, it was tough. He was with me as I went through the, the suicide attempt, of course, and mm-hmm. came through that. Um, but it was still it was still tough. Um, and he, not to, I have to mention, you know, he was also a year younger than me. So that kind of played a role as well. But it just became a point where it was just it was still tough. Um, you know, even though I had come through the worst part of my grief, which was the suicide, um, I still just wasn't thinking right. I still wasn't, you know, um, doing everything right. If you will, I'm still just trying to figure it all out and hoping that he would ride the wave, but it just, you know, it didn't work out. And so, you know, we're still friends because I think that that situation still, um, keeps us connected, but yeah, yeah, it, it just didn't work out. I was, I was wondering that because when you've been through something like that, not only was he there for your mom's passing? But then, like you said, for your um, for your own, you know, um, suicide attempt and your mental institution component and all that hard part in your life, I guess it does create some kind of uh, a bond because you've experienced, I've got at least gone through something um, similar, right? Or I mean, he's been there; he was there for you for that. Mm-hmm. But um, so now, Dennis, oh, and yeah. then you have your daughter. I think it now. was a season thing too. Right, right. And now you have your daughter. And now take us into what it is you do um, now with your coaching. So now, um, because of COVID is how I've actually switched into this. Um, Like I said, I worked in sports. I just finished um, the Super Bowl that was here in Miami. So I was the manager of volunteers and managing 10,000 volunteers for the game. And so when that was over in February, um, I had started a, a new job. You know, I was uh, slated to be the staffing and events manager for an organization that does basketball camps for high school athletes um, on college campuses. And they do about 100 of those across the U.S. And so I was on track and everything was, you know, ready for that. And I had been working two months and then COVID hit. And then um <laughs> you know, universities started shutting down and people weren't traveling as much. And so what does that mean? Kids aren't registering. And so unfortunately, with it being a small business, I was the first or was the last one to come in. So I was the first one to go out. So I was laid off um, in May because of COVID-19. And in that moment, you know, I was okay. But then it, it made me think and it's like, okay, well, now my industry is being impacted, which we all know, you know, with sports and, um, you know, COVID is kind of running rampant and stadiums are not at full capacity. So, you know, I can't and I, I, I am at a position in my life where I'm just not going to take any job. I've been successful in my career. I am in upper management in in my industry. So I'm not going to come in at an entry level position knowing my worth. Um, so I just, I have not been able to re-enter into the sports industry. And so I just took it as an opportunity to look and say, okay, you know what, we're losing a lot of people to COVID and there's a lot of families that are experiencing grief right now. Um, Kenesha, you have come through this, you know, you, you know, it took you 10 years to get to a point of being okay. And now that we're at year 13, ironically. Um, you, you know, you are really ready to share your story in its totality and you're ready to actually, you know, help others. And so I just, I dove like head first into wanting to help others. And so it started with, um, actually doing a book. And so I wrote a, um, it's a coloring affirmations and grief journal for grief. And so it's, it's the components of everything that helped me through my journey. 
And so the book includes coloring pages where you will color different affirmations. You can also draw out your thoughts and feelings. There are prompts that, you know, will ask you, you know, how are you feeling? And you can draw those pictures. And then there's the writing component with prompts um, for journal entries. And so I was like, I wanted to do something right here, right now that would help somebody um, to get through their season. And so that was the first thing that I released. And I actually released it on my mother's angel anniversary. You know, mm -hmm. I knew that it was the 13th year. And of course, it's July the 13th. And I said, wow. I want to shift this. I don't want this to be a day of mourning. I want this to be a day of celebration. And so I released the book on her um, anniversary. So it would be a day of celebration. And so the book wow. did really well. Um, you know, still, you know, have copies, but it, it did very, very well. And so from there, just kind of transition into what can I do next? And so that's when I opened up my heart to the possibilities of being a grief coach. And so went through that certification. And um, now I'm a certified grief and life coach. Um, I also started very recently, like within the last week, a Facebook group that came very organically. Um, I have a lot of plans and a lot of things to do. And a, and a Facebook group just wasn't one of those. But hearing or being in other groups where people were just disheartened that they weren't able to freely talk about God and say that I'm praying for you. They wanted a safe space to talk about grief and be a Christian. I just come up, I, I created a, a, a um, Facebook group called Grieving Christians. And now we've got about 270 some people, members. Nice. And, you know, people are able to just share their stories, ask questions, um, you know, get prayer and things. And so all of these things are just kind of manifested in this season. Um, I have called this a COVID blessing, <laughs> you know, even though, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I am a college professor, so I'm teaching two sports classes and, you know, that was supposed to be kind of a, a side thing in addition to my full-time job. But now, um, you know, it's kind of been my main source of income, but I have to say that I'm grateful that even though, you know, this pandemic has been tough, you know, my family, we've been okay. Um, you know, we still have a roof over our heads. We haven't missed a meal. Um, you know, have been grounded, haven't been able to travel. That's something that I need for my own personal peace. Traveling and a change of scenery is something that I need for the things that I've been through. And so when that was stripped from me, it, it was hard in the beginning. But all in all, um, this has been a, a hashtag COVID blessing is what I called it. Just simply because of everything that I've been through now to be in the position to help someone else is just it's, it's more of my purpose. Because I have asked, I'm like, okay, I didn't sign up to lose my parents at 21. I didn't put my name on a list and say, you could do this. So there has to be a reason why. And, that's, and that goes back to me sharing my age. And that's simply because I believe that God put me through this early enough to be in the position now to add, you know, my own personal flair, my charisma, my humor, but my sensitivity to those who are going through their grief season now. It is Amazing. Thank you so much because you're right. Like even just like you said, COVID blessing, it's like even just the grief blessing, the gratitude. That's why the name of the podcast, there's that grief, gratitude, and the gray in between part. So that aspect of having gratitude, even if you've gone through something hard and knowing that you went through that for something for something, you know, purpose is what is the growth and the, um, and the gratitude component of it. So you are definitely an example of that. So thank you so much, Kanisha, for sharing all your journey. You. And now let us know how can people find you and we will put, the, put it in the, in the show notes. But if you want to just share a little bit of how people could get your book, I, is it in the same website as they can find you or is it on Amazon or how do they get your your uh, coloring affirmation journal and how can they coach with you and so forth. Yep. All of that. Um, so the easiest way is on social media. Um, I am Kenesha Nichelle, K-E-N-I-S-H-A-N-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. um, Kenesha Nichelle on Instagram, Facebook, um, I also, on my YouTube channel as well. Um, but KenishaNichelle.com is where you can click and you can join the Facebook group. Um, the books are on there as well. Um, if you are looking for someone to, um, to coach with you, if you are, if you are ready and you are um, in the position where you, 
you say, I need some help and I would love to partner to get you to the other side of the purpose to the pain that you're feeling, I would definitely love to work with you. And so all of those things can be found either on uh, my social media, Instagram, um, or on my Facebook as well. I also do a, a show called Two for Tuesdays, Grief and Motivation Talk every Tuesday um, at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, where just kind of connect with you and talk about, you know, two points of um, tips that we can get you through your grief season and through everyday life. And how do they do that show? How do they re- do do access that show on social media? That's live on, yep, that's live on Instagram. Yep, that's live on Instagram on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern. Um, if you are unable to make the show live, you know, because I'm interacting, asking questions, answering questions and things. Um, if you can't make it live, then they're always saved and they're uploaded to my YouTube channel. And so it's about 13 episodes by now, I think, um, that are uploaded. So you can go back and listen to all sorts of different topics. Like even last Tuesday or yesterday, talked about returning to the place where you met grief and uh, finish what you start. I'm just in awe. I'm in awe of you, of how much you've just been able to accomplish. I mean, (laughs) you went through a lot in a short period of time in your life, you know, and, you know, by the age of 21, went through so much. And then right now, all this shift and, and, you know, taking this change and, you know, your loss of your job with COVID and stuff that suddenly creating all this and all these resources in such a short period of time. Really, I'm in awe. So thank you so much. So grateful to have had you on Absolutely. the show. Thank you. Sharing all your insights and your your journey. And, uh, and everybody now knows how to connect with you. And I'm excited to keep on getting to know you through our Instagram Absolutely. friendship as well. <laughs> and yes. beyond. And beyond. <laughs> thank you once again. I know. Thank you so much, Kendra, for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.